Well, my, my wife, Kylie, loves pulling off a surprise party. And in fact, we've had conversations over the years where I'll say something like, not every party has to be a surprise party, does it? And she gives me one of those looks that says, what planet do you live on? Um, to her, there's nothing more satisfying than pulling off a surprise party. Everyone is sworn to secrecy. The to-do list in preparation is checked off one by one. Uh, the house is perfectly decorated with streamers and balloons. Uh, the food is prepared. The guests arrive a few minutes early. Uh, the drinks are poured. And then you know who the guest of honor drives up walks up the steps, knocks on the door, and surprise! The, the music is cued and the party has begun. The, the look on the person's face is, is, uh, makes everything in preparation worth it. it. It's like we all gave the person a giant collective hug just by being part of the surprise. That's, that's one way um, Kylie loves people really well, by, by the art of surprise. Well, regardless of whether or not surprises are your thing, uh, we all image and reflect God in, in our surprises. And I say that because he has shown himself again and again to be the ultimate author of surprises. Today we're going to look um, at an episode near the end of Jesus' time on earth that's filled, chock full of surprises. And as the episode unfolds, we're going to see God love people so well as he pulls off this massive surprise party. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's a fairly long episode, but you, you sort of have to read it in its, in, in its entirety to, to really understand it and get it. So um, buckle up and get comfortable. It's found in John 11, verses 1 through 44. I won't make you stand. <laughs> um, it, it'll be on the screen bef- behind me. So John 11, verses 1 through 44. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, 
Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the, t- the, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to see him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he'll rise when every, everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to to him. Jesus, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people uh, who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us lots of accounts of, of Jesus healing people in human term, who in human terms were, were perfect strangers, were total strangers. You know, think of the, of the woman who, who touched the hem of his garment and uh, her bleeding stopped, or, or the centurion who asked, uh, asked him to heal his paralyzed servant from afar, and Jesus healed him. Uh, these were examples of people outside the, the inner circle. The, this family, this family of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, was very close to Jesus. He'd shared a lot of life with them. He enjoyed meals together with them, hours of conversation, probably lots of laughter, um, lots of tears as well. So when the two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent, sent word to Jesus, Lord, your dear friend is sick, they meant it. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. There's a mystery as, as to when uh, Jesus knew this would happen, as 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 we've seen over the, over the past weeks, as, as the great I am, which we looked at a few weeks ago, we, we know that Jesus has existed for all eternity with the Father. We also know that when he decided to take on human flesh, he emptied himself. And part of that emptying meant he took on our limitations. But he was not emptied of his connection with the Father. The Father and Jesus are one. One will, one purpose, one aim. So, you know, whenever Jesus knew this happened, knew this was going to happen, whether it was years ago or months ago or weeks ago or days ago, when the sisters sent word, Lord, your very dear friend is sick, this was the beginning of a series of surprises all orchestrated by the Father and fulfilled by Jesus. Surprise number one, out of love, Jesus answers their cry for help by delaying. There's some debate amongst uh, scholars about how far away Jesus was from Bethany where the, where the family home was. You know, I won't bore you with the, the details, but I find the, the argument most convincing that Jesus was a little more than 90 miles away. And the reason that this is, this is relevant is this. For your average healthy person to walk 90 miles, it took four days. By the time Jesus reaches Bethany, Lazarus had been dead how long? Four days, right. Meaning, Jesus left Bethany when he knew he was told by his father that Lazarus was dead. When I was um, in the hospital at Mass General for the day, uh, the, the day of my stroke, um, it was a snowy afternoon, it was a snowy evening. Um, for friends and family, there, there was plenty of reason for delaying visiting me um, until the next day. But that didn't stop many of you. The, the I, ICU was packed with friends, praying, uh, supporting, and just, just simply practicing the ministry of presence, being with us, being with our family through that dark valley. What kind of, what kind of friend, what kind of dear friend delays like this? 
That's, that's what I'd be thinking if I were Mary or Martha. Not just any friend, but a friend who could actually do something about it. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died, are the first words out of Martha and Mary's mouth when Jesus arrives. You, you can sort of hear their, their doubts or their questions behind this statement. What, what was he thinking? <laughs> Doesn't he care? Doesn't he love us? I think if we're all really honest, we've all, all been there. It, it, you know, probably were different circumstances, but we've all had times when those questions and those doubts took hold of our mind. What was God thinking? Does he care? Does he love us? And can he be trusted? Verse 4. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. What does that mean, God's glory? God's glory is defined as the full weight of his worth or the full weight of his value. In other words, his goodness... It's not that these two things compete with one another. It's not like, ooh, will God's glory win or will my good win? No, no, no. The story of Scripture again and again teaches that that God's glory is always, always, always attached to the good of his people. You can't separate them. They're, They're permanently glued to one another. Romans 8, 28 famously says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, all things work together for what? Good. For those who are called according to his purpose. No doubt doubt about it, our, our good sometimes comes to us in strange, difficult, delayed ways much longer than the few days this family had to wait. Paul experienced this himself through, through that thorn in his flesh that wouldn't go, go away, despite his constant asking that God take it away. He writes in Romans 5 that um, suffering produces endurance, and that endurance produces character, and that character produces the bottomless hope and joy that is ours. Why? Because as a result of that experience, our faith has had an opportunity to solidify. Our faith has had an opportunity to mature, had an opportunity to um, uh, cure like cement. And that rock tells us that God is using every ounce of suffering for our good, for the good of others. For God's glory. So Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Verses five and six. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And again in verse 14 and 15, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, 
for your good. I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. That's the first unexpected surprise in this whole episode. Delay. Out of love, Jesus answers their cry for help by delaying. Number two, out of love, Jesus comforts them in their grief by pointing to himself. What do we do when, when someone's experienced a tragedy or a, or a loss? We sympathize with them, right? Every normal person does. You know, we hug them. We pray for them. We offer our condolences. That's what normal people do. But outside of offering our words, outside of offering our presence with them, normal people are powerless. We're powerless. So instead of doing the usual sympathizing bit, Jesus says something very surprising and unexpected to, to Martha. Verse, verses 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, this, this is kind of an odd thing to hear. What did he mean? Their brother has just died. Uh, how is this supposed to be comforting at a time like this? I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Well, we all know how this episode ends. Lazarus would be raised, but you have to wonder if the thought occurred to, to them, maybe, maybe a few decades later, um, Lazarus will eventually die, won't he? So you can imagine the people of Bethany saying things like, um, hey, do you remember when that guy down the street, Lazarus, died and was raised by Jesus? Huh, that was a, that was a freakish thing. Like, like, speaking of a paranormal experience that no one could explain. Was the raising of Lazarus like that? Was it just a freakish thing? Or was it a revolutionary thing? If it was a revolutionary experience, we need to see that Jesus was showing us things about the future and things about the present. The, the raising of Lazarus is signaling Jesus' own resurrection, which was just days away at this point. It's funny how our, our um, you know, we, we didn't plan it this way, but it's, it's, it's funny how our coverage of this claim of Jesus, I am, the I am the resurrection and the life, happened to fall on Halloween, uh, a day of celebration of death. Jesus is saying, I have come into this world to rescue you from death. To rescue you from that final enemy that clutches all of us with its meaninglessness. How will I accomplish that? By my cross and by my empty tomb. If you believe in me, in other words, put all of your dependence on me, then you will live forever. Do you believe that, Martha? Martha? That's the question for all of us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And, and this eternal life is not just a far out future thing. It's, it's not like death insurance. 
No, no, it, it changes the now. It changes the present. Uh, Romans 6, 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you, do you hear the present tense? We might walk in newness of life. In other words, it, it's not saying you will walk in newness of life. No, no, that we might walk now in newness of life. Every time someone is baptized, and we'll say this again next week during the, the, during the, the baptism celebration, when we come up out of the water, it's a visible, tangible display of our new life in Christ that we experience now. Not in the future. Now. Even now, on this side of, on this side of death, we gradually experience newness of life. New desires, new, new motivations, new strength to be the people Jesus rescued us to be in the first place. So it, it, it's not just a future thing. It's not just an out there thing. Wishful thinking thing. No, it's a present reality. As new creations, we are the signs of things to come. I am the resurrection and the life. There's no greater comfort for any kind of grief than this. We can't touch this with our hugs. We can't touch this with our powerless words of condolences and sympathy. No. I am the resurrection and the life. That is the only comfort in life and in death. That's the second surprise. Jesus comforts us in our, brief, in our grief by pointing us to himself. Finally, surprise three. Out of love, Jesus shows his control over all things by his outrage. So Jesus has had his conversation with one of, one of uh, the sisters, Martha. Now Mary... Uh, his other sister comes to talk with him. So she, so she comes, and in, in the crowd of mourners follow her. And um, there's a difference in cultures. Over there, to this day, there are people wailing aloud whenever someone dies. So you can just imagine the throng of mourners with her. And Jesus' reaction, again, is very unexpected. He, it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other, wail, uh, other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And then skipping down to verse 35, then Jesus wept. Then skipping down to verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone across its entrance. So, Jesus knows how this whole episode is going to end, right? It's no, no surprise. If I knew what was about to happen, I'd be giddy, you know? 
guys, just wait to see what's about to happen. Jesus knows that their grief is about to end. It's the whole reason he's delayed his trip in the first place, right? He's in control. So why the tears? Why the outrage? He's angry and he's crying because this world is broken and messed up and not the way he meant it to be in the first place. And even though the people mourning don't even know the half of it, Jesus does. He knows their grief more fully than they can even comprehend. Death and loss and grief were not part of the original plan. So as the rescuer, as the restorer, as the savior, as the Messiah, he doesn't come like an, an emotionally distant or cold doctor who's, who's emotionally removed. No, he's passionate. He's passionately angry and grieved by us. Think, think back for a moment to your, to your most grievous situations that you've lived through. When life was harder than ever, maybe it was someone you loved who was taken from you, who died prematurely. Maybe it was a, a parent, a child, a sibling, a friend, a spouse. It, if it hasn't happened yet, it's coming. Maybe it was a relationship that was, that was once so precious that's now broken. To, to a degree that, it, that it's beyond repair. Maybe it's a result of something you did. That adds another layer of grief. Maybe it's an injustice that was committed against you, leaving you marginalized, alienated. Maybe it's a, a, a disability or, or a physical condition that you or someone you have will have to deal with for the rest of their lives. lives. Maybe someone mistreated you or abused you when you were younger. And, and took away your innocence, or, or maybe that happened to someone you love. Now, now take your worst, most grievous situations in life. How have you pictured God feeling about it? Is he indifferent? Is he cold? Could he care less? Is he emotionally detached? What you and I need to see is that God is not some emotionally stoic doctor who happens to bring the remedy. No, our God is passionate. And he gets passionately angry. Anger is one of the most misunderstood emotions because, um, I don't know, for me personally, when, when uh, there was a season of my life when I got angry, I thought it was wrong. No, we're emotional beings because God made us in his image and anger is one of those emotions. And just like any emotion, you can be angry for the wrong reasons just like we can be happy for the wrong reasons. It's the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger or indignation is someone who's angry for the right reasons and responds to it the right way. 
Unrighteous anger is the opposite. Unrighteous anger is someone who's angry for the wrong reasons and responds to it in the wrong way. Jesus is righteously anger, angry. He's indignant. He isn't stuffing his, angry, his anger. He's, he isn't trying to hide it. It's out there. Enough so that John and all the others saw it. They saw the outrage. They saw the tears. The brokenness of this world in all of its forms outrages God. It saddens him deeply. This is a picture of the warrior king who loved us so much that he was willing to die like a slaughtered lamb so we could be with him forever. That's the beauty of the gospel. The king became the lamb. Out of love, Jesus responds to his desperate friends by delaying his trip. That's the, the first surprise. Out of love, he comforts them in their grief by pointing to himself. That's the second surprise. But before the big moment happens, even happens, um, but before the rejoicing and dancing in the streets that were sure to take place after Lazarus was raised, we need to see Jesus as the God-man who identifies with his people. He identifies with us in our pain, in our suffering, as a result of our collective sin. It outrages him. And that's the third surprise. So, in that mood, he says, Lazarus, come out. Death has to listen to him. Death has to obey him. He's more than a comforter. He's more than a sympathizer. He's more than a friend. He is supreme. He's larger than life, bigger than death. And I'll tell you what, he's making all things new. Now and in the future. So, to close, how are you responding to what Jesus has revealed about himself here? How have you personally responded? As C.S. Lewis said, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Either he is the resurrection and the life, or he's not. What do you do when the, when the God of the universe offers a gift, offers you the, the, the present of a lifetime? You open it, right? You receive it. You simply receive it. You, you simply receive his free gift of grace by putting your faith in the one who loves you so much that he gave himself for you and was raised for you. Willingly, not begrudgingly. And he stands at the door of your heart and says, 
Will you let me in? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for including this episode of the raising of Lazarus in your work. We know that, that you chose to include it to, to reveal your gracious, loving, powerful character. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. We can experience you now as, as we wait for you to, to raise us to be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Until then, God, would you, would, we pray that in 2021, a time filled with divisions, filled with disease, filled with death, you would lift up our heads, you would lift up our eyes from our situations, that we would see you, our risen and reigning king. Jesus, may, may you be our joy, our hope, our vision. We love you, and we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.